You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside, where even when we're gone, we're not far. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said, especially while I was gone, and ever will say on this show. I have returned from my multi-week hiatus, but I don't want you to think I was gone completely because I did listen to the episodes. I listened to part of one of the episodes uh, live. I don't know if uh, either of the, the co-hosts at the time recognized that or realized that I was on a bus. So I listened to it for a little bit live and then we had to get off the bus and go do touristy things. But I was able to listen a little bit live. Uh, I listened to both of the episodes while on the buses, not live. So I was still connected to you all, even if I wasn't live with you all. And, you know, we'll go over the trip. We'll go over the trip in Life on the Midside. But first, let me bring in my co-host, who is uh, also uh, geographically displaced. Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, what a wonderful place to be. I'm up in Northern California. We uh, opened our newest uh, location on July 5th, and I'm... uh, been working very long hours because uh, I'm still working my other job too. And uh, but it's been a lot of fun. The opening's going really, really great. We're raising a ton of money for charity, getting a lot of people uh, coming into the store for the first time. So it's been exciting. And man, I'll be up here. I'll be officially moved up here in a couple of weeks. So it's going to happen fast. I'm just going to fly the next couple uh, of weeks. Yeah, you'll finally be getting out of the the mess of Southern California. Oh man, it's so much so much nicer up here. I know it's no Texas uh, or or Florida, but it's going to be a huge relief and a huge change. Well, I don't think you want to be Florida, from what I'm hearing nowadays. Is Florida is pure evil? Is, is what that's I'm right? Hearing. So it's, it's got to be better. The, the new the new face of white supremacy. The the geographical face of white supremacy. I don't know. Yeah, uh, does maybe. it snow where you are? Uh, it does. Yeah, it was uh, it, it doesn't really stay here in the valley. But um, but like when I say you can just walk up the mountain and it'll be snow. Yes, that that's how it is in the winter here. Well, I'm sorry to hear you're going to have actual winter. Um, my, <laughs> my heart breaks for you. Surprisingly hurricane free here, though. It's surprisingly hurricane-free here as well, but that is a different story (laughs) for a different time. I don't want to get into that debate. What I will say, though, is in my lurking on the Walt Disney World subreddit, it's hilarious when people are worried about hurricanes when going to Disney. It's like, then then just don't go to Disney. There was one recently about, where do I park my car if there's a hurricane? Uh, How about just (laughs) not under a tree? (laughs) (laughs) It's the safest place, Justin, in the ocean. (laughs) <laughs> or or just not under a tree. Yeah. Not yeah. under a tree. All right. Well, rather than this, I think you and everyone else wants to hear about my trip. So why don't we get into that in Life on the Midside? Take a good look around. Just like really fun. No, we just complain and I hope that this one gets on. 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon and the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support up to and including affirmations. And William, I think you only did this plug once of the two episodes. Well, I don't get paid that much, so you just get half the effort, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> half effort, half effort. You actually deleted it from the. Somebody deleted it from the outline here too. I had to just type it right now. Oh, good. So, Take, yeah. Well, I, I, I only have one person I ever blame. Chandler, it's all your fault. So. <laughs> I, I heard that too. That you. What did you blame Chandler for? The mess where? Uh, was it? It wasn't Russia, was it? Was it? Was it? Yeah. Wagner? No, it was Russia. Was it yeah, it was Russia. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah, Wagner. Yeah. You blamed it for Wagner. That was it. <laughs> With the, I miss. I was gone for so long. I missed the whole coup. Like you missed a whole coup. That's true. <laughs> Wait, how did you feel being so close, so much closer to the coup there in, in Italy? Uh, I felt further away from it. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I was more disconnected. Although I was on my phone, like I, I had data, and you know, we were on the bus like three or four hours a day at times, and I don't know. It just here's the thing, right? Have you been to Italy before, or have you only been to, like, Germany? I've been to, like, northern Italy, but only just driving through. Didn't really okay. get into into real Italy, right? Didn't get out of the mountains. Well, it, okay, so, yeah, you basically, we did that one day where we went up to the border, and we were in Switzerland for part of the day because we were up in the mountains and everything in northern Italy. Yeah, and... Northern Italy is actually probably the better part of Italy. The The tour guide was telling us that there's like a 25% unemployment rate in Southern Italy, which is, which is mind blowing. But, but that's the thing, right? The reason I asked is if you've been anywhere in Europe, it's very steeped in history. It's, you know, you go there and you see what the country was and you realize these are very young countries really in the, in the sense of their Republic or, you know, their, their democratic days. Their, their constitutions, whatever whatever terminology you want to use. The thing that's different about Italy is it kind of feels like it's stuck. Italy feels like it's stuck. And, and what I mean by that is I, whenever I go to Europe, William, and tell me if you have the same feeling, but I always miss America more. And there's always things about the country that make me miss America and, and love America. I mean, when I was young, I had that experience of between seventh and eighth grade going to a bunch of European countries. And that's one of the things that you know, fundamentally changed who I was and, and made me appreciate where I, I live and the, the good fortune of where I was born and over my life, figuring out why the country is the way it is and, and what made our country different. Uh, do you have that feeling when 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 you leave? Like when you're in Germany, do you miss America greatly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's there's just the the interpersonal way that people treat each other, and I'm not saying people aren't nice, um, you know, but it's uh, those things are different. But then you look at just the amount of cultural baggage in some ways that other countries have. You know, Germany has this huge, you know, Nazi 
thing around the, their culture, right? Like, and it's not explicit or in everything, but you know, you can't go anywhere in Berlin and not see the, the effects of World War Two, right? They, they had you. You had said something like they're they're stuck in a way. Uh, in a way, they haven't moved on, right? There's a right. difference between respecting history and then um, and integrating it with your culture and, and moving past it. And I don't want that to seem like an insult. Like these are great places to visit, and some places should be dedicated to history, right? I'm not saying take down the, the take down the remnants of the Berlin Wall. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're saying, Mister, whoever's in still in charge of Germany, tear down the rest of this wall. <laughs> the wall. <laughs> no, that is exactly not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's, you know. America, there are people who want to define America in negative ways, right? You know, we have the 1619 Project or whatever it's called. But the American myth is a way different and more positive, culturally unifying force. And also, Justin, like, I don't, I, something that I know that for Europeans, when they come to America, they don't, they don't understand is how cohesive we are, uh, America, across, you know, all 50 states but still how different each area is in the United States, right? That's something that is really strange, I think, to, to Europeans. And, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, because it was pretty homogenous across Italy. I mean, the, 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 the tour guide was from Southern Italy. And one day he went on this whole thing about the differences between Southern and Northern Italians. But unless he had said that, I wouldn't have known otherwise being there. Now, maybe that's partially because we didn't spend a super amount of time in each place. We spent most of our time traveling between places. But yeah, it was a pretty homogenous country. And something else you said that that stuck out to me was Germany talking about World War II. And I actually think that speaks well of the Germans because they're willing to own up to their history and and, uh, what happened and their part in it because you want to know something. They don't talk about World War II at all in Italy. And other people on the tour were like, why are they not talking about it? And I was like, well, would you talk about the time where, like, you threw in with the Nazis? Like, is, is that a time in your, your history you would talk about if that happened to you? And this goes to what I'm talking about, about, like, the lack of progress is they really have not moved on from like ancient and medieval times. It's literally to the point where I'm talking not just culturally, but industrially where they were telling us stories about times when they'll start a project and they'll like drill into the street. And then they'll literally find like the Roman empire relics that are under the street. So William, something you were talking about was preserving history Right. And on the way back, we had like an eight hour layover in Philly. So we did the Liberty Bell and the Rocky Steps and we couldn't get in Independence Hall, but we were able to see it. Right. And if you go to Boston, you can do the 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 Liberty, not the Liberty Trail. What? The Freedom Trail. What's it called? The Freedom Freedom Trail. Thank you. Wow. I just my mass hole card just got revoked for not even remembering that. Right. But you could do Paul Revere's house and things like that. Old North Church. Right. Those are important things to do. And they're there. But around it and one of the things i love about boston around it is built up modernization we in america we tear things down and build them up again so look at disney world right they wanted to 
redo Epcot. So what did they do? They tore down a large portion of it and they're rebuilding it. Right? The, the new Guardians ride. They rebuilt that. They built a whole new area in Fred, the France Pavilion. Right? And people get upset about it. They say they, they're nostalgia. Right? And this is, I think, an example of what you're talking about, William, where people want to paint things in a negative light, but then they still have this nostalgia for things that came before. And I think it's an example of the way this sort of European Italian culture is, is creeping into our culture. The idea of in America, we say, no, we can do better. We tear it down and we build up over it. But then people are upset that it's destroyed. It's, this, you know, in Italy, like, they don't focus on that industrial progress. They sort of just keep doing what already happened because it already worked to a certain degree. There's no sort of attempt to modernize things. The most modern areas were where the most tourists were, where the most Americans are. I mean, I think... Sorrento was where it was the most sort of modern. It sort of had like a, a outdoor mall you walk through sort of like Santa Monica. But there again, that was where the most Americans were, where we walked around and people had the most American accents there. And I don't I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, maybe that's a, a money issue as well, but we know the connection between progress and money. And we know the connection between these ideas and Money, And I think there's a, a great way to look at both of these things. I remember, William, you were talking about with Germany, the washer and dryer sizes. Yeah. yeah. Right? And that's just <laughs> that's something we take for granted here in America. Right. Having actual size washer doors that you can accomplish something. Right. That your yeah, time yeah. is valuable. You can dry your clothes in less than four hours. Yeah. Yes. Which is we take that for granted. But people would look at us and be like wasteful Americans. Italy is the same way with air conditioning. They oh, don't man. really have central air. They don't really use air conditioning. And if they have it, it's very, very light. So you're warm the entire time you're there. Like, it's one of those things where if you were there and you lived there, you would be used to it. So you wouldn't think it's a big deal. But having come from Florida and going there where, you know, we pay $100, 150 a month for air conditioning, they would probably think we're nuts about that. And then another yeah, thing, you know how people that's always be talk very about uncomfortable. I mean, I, I, I got you out there walking around, do a walking tour, and then want to come inside, chill down, have a nice uh, drink, you know, drink some Italian wine or whatever, and then you're going to be sweating the whole time. That's crazy. Yeah, well, that's exactly what it is, and you know, it's it's marginally cooler on the inside. Right. Oh, and then another thing was on the bus when we're talking about air conditioning. At one point, they actually turned the air conditioning up really cold. And then people on the bus were like, OK, now it's too cold. And the Italian tour guide was like, guys, I can't keep adjusting the air conditioning up and down. We have to set it at one level. And in my head, I'm like, why? Because yeah. that's the purpose of the air conditioning adjustment. Right. But they don't oh, want to put in that effort. And then. Another thing, right, if we keep going on this vein of, like, things you take for granted, you always wonder, you know, they talk about Europeans being skinny and Italians being skinny. You know how, like, the stereotype of the American Italian is, like, very fat and jovial, right? Think of, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Godfather, right? Mario. That's the American Italian, right? Mario, even Mario has a pot belly, right? That's the Japanese, you know, Luigi is more the traditional Italian, and... Mario is like what the Japanese think an Italian-American looks like. Well, the reason is that, dude, the portion sizes in 
Italy are so small. So you have multiple courses, but there's not a lot in each course. So you have like your your first course, which can be like a super salad. Then you'll have your pasta course, which you think pasta, right? No, we're not talking like American size portions here. Then you might have a, a protein course, but I'm talking like three meatballs or like very sl- thinly sliced meat. And then that's it. Then you get a little bit of dessert and a little bit of dessert is like, if we have a piece of cake, there's like a quarter of that is their dessert. I mean, <laughs> you can go to Gideon's here in, in Disney and pay like $9 for a cake slice. And that cake slice is huge to them. That would be an entire cake essentially with the, the small, you could serve nine people with that, with the small servings they do. Nine dollars a dollar a person. It's just crazy. How much of that top of is? The, how much of that is just in, inflation, though? Right? I, how much of that is just? Uh, yeah, because I've wondered about this about when I go to Germany, like this giant push to eat like super industrialized, you know, plants and not actual beef or chicken or you know pork. It's it's very much like they want you to eat a giant, you know, like a a a. a, a, a Portion wise, I'm not talking, but like mix wise, like 99% quinoa and 2% uh, uh, meat substitute, you know? Yeah, I, I do think that has to do again with what we we're talking about is just building on top of what was already there rather than tearing it down and doing it anew. I do think that has to do with the the economic success of the country or not. And I'm not up on Italian economics, but if 25% of the Southern Italians are unemployed, I mean, that tells you something right there. And maybe that's the same reason they don't have gyms. Maybe they don't have the free time to go to the gym. I mean, one hotel of the entire trip had a gym. And it was obvious people there don't work out. Like, walking around, first of all, people in the tour group were from Britain. They were from Australia, from India. And from the first day, people made comments to me about working out. And they were like, oh, have you seen a gym? Have you found a gym? Or when the hotel had a gym, they were like, have you been to the gym yet? Like, constantly, the people within the tour group. And when I walked around, like, people were looking at me. Because I look so significantly differently physically. And, I mean, I'm not even like a a bodybuilder pro wrestler body type. You know what I mean? I'm in shape, and it's obvious I lift weights. But I don't look like, you know, Brian Cage in WWE or... Um, Braun Strowman in WWE, right? These huge, massively ripped guys who probably have done steroids at some point in their life. So it's 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 very interesting in that way. Hmm. It's. A, I mean, it's. Is that also? It's funny that you say that because even the like, I feel like in Germany, there's a lot of people who hike and run. There's a little bit more, a uh, little bit more. Uh, health conscious right but as far as like strength gyms i you know i don't know of any that i at least that anyone in germany that does strength training you know right and i think that's a very uniquely american tradition habit where we're seeing studies now right from like huberman labs that actually lifting weights is tremendous for your health because it keeps your body strong Right. And it it keeps you physically fit. This idea of and I I hate to be, you know, collectivistic, political about it, like pick a side. But 
I mean, this is very like Portland leftist, Seattle leftist, the idea that, oh, go hiking. That's what's better for you. Right. Where are you actually exerting yourself when you go hiking? And what I mean by that, William, is we walked an average of four and a half miles a day. And don't get me wrong. That's a level of physical fitness. Yes. But yeah, absolutely. It didn't bother me. Like it was very, very, very easy for me, especially because I had good shoes on, right? I had running shoes on, so it, it was very easy for me. But that one day when I tried to like run to warm up, because I usually like run a mile on the treadmill before I lift to get my heart rate up, like it didn't feel comfortable. I had a little bit of chest pain and maybe I'm about to have a heart attack, but I also I think it's the type <laughs> of diet and I also yeah. think it's the not pushing yourself with the lifting of the weights. It's a different type of workout that only Americans value. But if you think about working in the fields back in the day, right, when everybody used to farm, when everyone used to have a agricultural culture, didn't everybody have to lift? Yeah. Everybody had to lift. And it was just yeah. part of your daily routine. And now that people are losing that. There's one final experience I want to share And it actually ended up being related to a story that happened over the past couple of days, which is crazy because it is the big thing that is happening throughout Europe. And it was just very interesting what happened. And I think that it can help us understand our own country and our own ways of approaching things. So the final night before the the Friday night before we flew out on Saturday, there was a quote-unquote farewell dinner where everybody on the tour, if they wanted to, could pay to go to a restaurant in a, a square in Rome. So the restaurant is not inside of a square. What I mean by that is that there's one of those areas that was built for socialization, which is called a square. It's oftentimes not shaped exactly like a square. And there are buildings around it and monuments and things inside of it, like fountains, things like that. And we got to sit on the outside of the the restaurant on the square, basically. But there was a little divider, right? There was like a fence and some um, some greenery, some shrubbery that said, like, this is where the restaurant starts and this is where the square starts. Well, throughout Europe, William, there are people sort of like if you go to Santa Monica or you go to any sort of like major touristy area like Vegas. You know how in Vegas there are the typically Hispanic guys with the cards that they snap against ah, their arms? yes, the card. Yeah, the card clickers. Yeah, those are usually for strip clubs. In Italy, every major tourist area you go to, there are people who are trying to sell you cheap chintzy goods or flowers to make a quick buck or water, right? So you're walking around the Coliseum. There are people who walk in your tour group and try to sell you a bottle of water. Who knows where they got that water from? Who knows if I heard people say that they get empty bottles of water and fill them and then try to sell them to stupid tourists. So you risk getting sick by buying them, right? So there's a whole thing here. Now, these people are typically, I would say Indian. I I don't really know. I mean, they, they're, they're brown skinned. Right. So they're not Italian. It's very obvious they're not Italian. On the last night, we're sitting there, we're eating dinner and a guy comes into the patio area 
and starts trying to sell flowers to us. Now, William, before I even continue with what happened next, can you imagine that happening in America? (laughs) I I think I remember them doing that in bars in Baltimore. The guy would walk around with flowers like at one in the morning, you know? Yeah, one in the Um, morning. Yeah, one in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of comparable things, and that's the only one I can come up with. Uh, uh, he was the guy, you know, the flower guy, walking around Fells Point, handing out flowers at one in the morning. Handing them out, though. This guy wasn't handing them out. He was just walking around trying to get people to buy them, right? Okay. So okay. I got, I literally got fed up, and I went American on him. And I literally looked at him, and I, I waved my hand, and I pointed to get out, and I said, we're eating dinner here. Leave. And he left. Well, here's where the story takes two turns. Oh, man. The next turn is somebody else shows up. And funny enough, this old British guy in the group wanted to try to get rid of him himself. I guess he wanted to try to be a little American and get rid of him. I forgot that. And when the second guy showed up, I got really annoyed. And I told told him, get lost. We're trying to eat. This guy went to the church across from us, sat on the steps, and sat on his cell phone angrily to the point that other people in the group are like, you really made this person mad. He's really upset at you. <laughs> I'm like, he's upset at me? Like, I'm paying money to sit here, eat dinner, and not be disturbed by random people. So I was like, okay, Bruce. You know, Bruce was the British guy. You got the next one if another one shows up. They're like, why would another one show up? I go, what do you think's going to happen? And what do you think happened, William? Another guy showed up. Except this, you want to know the guy they sent this time? They sent over, you know the type of guy who is so sort of jovial that he's sort of impervious to any sort of negativity? Like everything becomes a joke. We're best friends. That's the guy they sent over. Oh, man. I 100% believe they did it on purpose. And I 100% believe the message they were trying to send is, you can't get rid of us. We're going to do what we want and you're going to have to deal with it. And the reason I'm saying this is, I think this is the immigration issue that no one wants to address. And when people in America bring up the idea that immigration is a war and it's an invasion, this is what they're talking about. It literally felt like our dinner was being invaded. And when I fought back and said, hey, leave, they turned it into a battle rather than saying like, okay, we're not going to be able to sell stuff to these people. No, we want to be here, we're going to be here, and you're going to deal with it, even if we're not going to sell stuff. Because they had to know with that guy coming back, he wasn't going to sell anything, but they wanted to prove there was nothing you could do. Because it takes a united front. It takes a united front to keep these people out. Everybody has to. Notice how nobody in the restaurant showed up to get rid of these sellers. Nobody. That's crazy. That's what I'm saying. In America, they would have thrown the person out, right? And threatened to call the police. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes to, William. Yeah, someone walked in, if someone walked into my store and started trying to sell waters, yeah, they would get kicked out. Right. Or even flowers, and they were bothering the customers, and the customers were trying to ignore them. Yeah. But this is just something that's yep. just so taken for granted. It just is what it is. And... I think this speaks to one of the biggest pieces of farce this week where I had a friend message me and then you message me that the Dutch government collapsed because they can't decide how to deal with immigrants. 
Isn't that absolutely insane? Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot going on. Isn't this the same uh, government that was uh, telling farmers that they they were basically forcing farmers to sell their land and stop farming in the name of climate change and giving the land to the immigrants? Yes, but that's the point. It's all connected, right? When we talk about the European Union, these collectivist yeah. countries, it's all connected. And what what I mean by that way, when I say it, it, it's all connected, I'm referring to the fact that what I was talking about with the United Front. It's the idea of, look, let me ask you this. I'm going to preface it this way. I am not anti-immigration. Or another way to say it is, I am pro-immigration. However, I have a caveat for that. If you are going to move somewhere, and I even have this issue with people moving from New York to Florida. If you're going to move somewhere, move there to not act the way you did where you left. It's a new style of life. You're leaving the other place because the style of life didn't work. I think too often we look at moving and relocation and you're someone who's relocating. So perhaps you could speak to this uh, as purely materialistic. Oh, well, New York's not affordable. So Florida's affordable. So I'm going to continue the same lifestyle in Florida that I was living in New York. Well, maybe those ideas and those habits are what led to it being unaffordable in a place you didn't want to live. And I think that's the same problem with all of these countries in Europe, where is the Italian culture being respected by these immigrants walking into and trying to sell things in these restaurants during dinner? Or are they just saying, we're going to do what we want because we need to? And of course, that's the other side of this, right, William? The other side is, oh, well, these people need to do this to survive. So we need to respect that, that they're just trying to survive. But where do you yeah, fall on I, this? I, I don't know that trying to survive, this is this is that weird argument that people get in, in immigration. I think it's one of those false dichotomy bros where, and I think Sargon of Akkad points this out a lot. Most of these immigrants coming into Europe are economic migrants, right? Like, yes, some of them are leaving war-torn countries and things like that, but most of them are not. Most of them are coming because they can live a higher standard of living in the country that they're that they're coming to. And that's fine, right? That That's fine. But then everything that you're just saying right now needs to be in effect, right? If we think about the immigration in the United States uh, in the uh, 1700s, 1800s, most of those were, were political and, uh, and economic migrations as well. And like, but I think today the culture is not the melting pot and you're coming here to assimilate. It is it's a bento box. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, we're the, we're the sacred class, yeah. right? There's this groupism of like immigrants are a sacred class and that's weird. Right. And, you know, you're talking about it all being connected. I was thinking a lot this week about, um, population, uh, you know, collapse. Uh, you know, Japan has been stagnating for what thirty years now because of their uh, decreased population, and uh, China's about to enter that. Right? 
I think in the in the mid 2030s, China will China declined for the first time this year, but in the mid 2030s, it's like the point of no return, right? They're 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 going to be worse than Japan for the next probably 100 years, and it's because of the one-child policy. And a bunch well, of and things, I think right? India finally passed and them as the most populous nation. Yeah, yeah, and 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 India and Mexico have stable uh, populations and are going to continue growing, and America's continuing to grow um, because we have a little bit more of a rational uh, immigration policy, and people are still having children um, for the most part, but. There, when you think of people, if if you see if you think of people as valuable, each individual as valuable, right? Having more people means a better life for everyone. The issue we have is we're trying to treat these groups as special and untouchable, right? Untouchable in the sense of, you know, you're you're a victim, and so therefore you're holy, and like you can do anything you want, and it, you know that we're not without any regard to the culture that you're coming into. Um, and we've lost that. Uh, hey, if you're coming here, it's because it's not just because I can make more money here. It's because the culture will lead us to a better life. And I think that's what connects back to what you're saying. Right. So just, it was interesting to me actually experiencing that firsthand, right? The idea, I mean, think of that, right? Three guys come in and the, the third one comes in definitely because I made the second one mad. Like, First of all, people would be like, oh, stupid American making it worse. But at the same time, why am I the only one out of everyone there? Because we weren't the only people eating. Out of everyone in my tour group, out of everyone who was eating at the restaurant and everyone who worked at the restaurant, why was I the only one standing up for myself and the group of people I was with? What does that say, William? Filthy Americans. That's what that's that says. Well, when we're talking about filthy Americans, uh, cocaine in the White House. Am I talking about Hunter Biden? I <laughs> uh, don't know. It could also be Kamala Harris. I mean, she talks pretty crazy. So I don't, I don't uh, know. Like that, I think that could be Cokefield. I don't know the full details of the story, and the, I don't know how much there is to say about this. Justin, I can, I can, <laughs> I can tell you. All we know for sure is that a bag of right. cocaine was found. It has migrated from the East Wing to the West Wing to the library to outside the Situation Room. We're not even sure where it was found. I think it was leaked that it was found, and uh, and now they're trying to cover it up. Justin, how many cameras are there in the well, White House? Well, that was the question I was going to ask you, right? Because they said <laughs> West Wing, right? And now you're getting me on the conspiracy train. Okay, because they said West Wing and they were like, there are so many people that come in and out of there that it's unlikely that we're going to find the bag. Right. And so I was going to have this whole discussion about, like, what does it say that someone brought cocaine into the White House? Is this any actually different from the 80s or is this just us exposing the underbelly of our culture? But now there's a whole deeper thing here that you're bringing up. Right. Shouldn't it be easy for them to find it? Who did it? Well, Let's just say if you if you work in the White House or your family, you get searched differently or not at all, depending on the situation as you come in and out. Okay, so with that being said, it's not like someone was on a tour of the White House and dropped a bag of cocaine. That would not have happened. 
or would be extremely unlikely. Like maybe if you squeezed a bag between your butt cheeks as you're going through. Well, uh, I, I don't remember security. security so, right? <laughs> security at the White House, they don't x-ray you or anything, do they? Though they do the metal detector and they x-ray Right, so your say bags. I don't empty my pocket. So, so. Uh, yeah, like I said, it is possible, but highly unlikely, okay. right? Uh, it's more possible. The people who can bring things in the White House a little more undetected would be family and uh, So you mean Hunter Biden? Uh, or Kamala <laughs> Harris. Come on now. I, 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 think, I, think, I think Kamala's uh, uh, platitudes, if, if, if you gave me enough coke, I could speak exactly like Kamala Harris. So that's what you think. Is this somebody who works in the White House? Now, l- let me yeah. ask you this. Yeah. Or maybe this is the secret ingredient. Maybe this is the secret ingredient that gets uh, uh, Grandpa Joe riled up, you know, when, when, when they need him to give a speech. They just Because uh, he's know, asleep every other time. <laughs> yeah. Or wandering around going the wrong direction. Well, let direction. me ask you this, right? Final question about this. Do you think this is like a high-level employee, or do you think this is a low-level employee? And what I mean by that is this doesn't have to be somebody who works for the government in the sense of, like, they're an elected official. No. This could be, like, one of the security guards. No. Had it. Or right. one of the staffers. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that this is a big deal. It's just hilarious is yeah. what it is. I mean, I think it's sort of a big deal, but I'm straight edge. I think it's a big deal in the sense of why do you need to bring that to work even if you're going to do it? First of all, don't do it, but I'm not naive. I recognize there's a drug culture. Well, what if you live there? What if you're Hunter Biden and you live well, there? Come on now. Now there's a greater problem. Don't have. Now you're going to get me on my high horse about government being a full-time job. All right, let's let's move on from drugs and government, though, to what everybody listens to the midside to talk about. The the transgender Americans. As commander in chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans. But you know what? There is a ban on now. William is mispronouncing someone in or is it misgendering someone in Michigan? Right. Can you give us the details on that? Yeah, apparently the House passed a resolution, the law, uh, but it's going to the Senate now, I guess, in Michigan, uh, to make using someone's pronouns against their will, uh, using the, the proper pronouns. But uh, if, you, if you guessed wrong, then it would be a, a crime. And uh, I, don't, uh, it, I love the headline because it says that the law is probably is unconstitutional. Justin, what is the probability that forced speech is unconstitutional? It should be 100%. However, this article title is deceptive. <laughs> it's deceptive because it says probably is unconstitutional. And then the entire article is an argument for why it is constitutional. And the argument is essentially saying oh. that if you use the wrong pronouns, but they're not directed at someone, it's not a threat. However, it is an implicit threat when you use someone's wrong pronouns directed at them. Ah, the old words yes. is violence yes. argument, right? Isn't this just well, the, words the words is violence, is violence argument? argument combined with the transgender genocide argument that we've been hearing that there's a genocide against transgender people? 
Oh man, there's this there's this really gross but accurate Stone Toss comic of uh, he has a panel, and the first panel is uh, uh, someone getting their uh, uh, genitals chopped off, and then the next day, the person holding a sign, a sign saying uh, "Stop transgenocide." Yes. It's like you. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, this makes the point right. concrete. Well, that, that's perfect because that's exactly where my brain was going and where my brain goes. We're talking about trans, transgenocide, right? But this is something we'll see as a theme that's going to continue over the next few stories. And we talked about this. I think the last episode I was on before my trip is the essentially the, the gaslighting here, the being forced to accept reality as something different than what it is or to be accept or being forced to accept anti-reality. And that's the perversion of this, right? I don't mean sexual perversion, right? I mean, intellectual perversion where they're the ones inverting things. They're the ones being threatened or being, sorry, they're the ones being threatening. What I mean by this is the following. As we discussed, or as I discussed, right? I am no longer of the mind that when you transition, you actually transition. I don't think if you go from male to female, you're actually a female. You're just a male who's dressed up as a female, either cosmetically or even if you get the chemical changes, you're still not female, right? And that would call they, this would make me be called the turf, right? A trans exclusionary radical feminist, right? Now I am in the same class as J.K. Rowling. Okay, if you want to put me in the same class as J.K. Rowling, wow. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> right? Uh, William, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, th- it, this is exactly what's been going on around Twitter. Uh, there's uh, this gaslighting that you're talking about. Um, I think that someone's been showing this video of a trans woman, a man dressed up as a woman, uh, railing against trans uh, violence against trans people, including misgendering as violence. The man, the, the man dressed as a woman that is giving this speech about kill all uh, people who don't respect trans people is been convicted of sexual assault and regular assault against women. So we have someone who actually assaults women calling for the assault of women who don't want to call a man a woman. Yeah, and there are certainly... That's the kind of gaslighting. And there are certainly psychological issues when we get involved with gaslighting on this level. I don't even want to talk about the psychological issues right now. We'll get into that with the last story, right? The parental dysphoria. Because right now, with this story and the next story, what's, what's, what's important here is not, you know, why the people are doing this. It's the fact that it is anti reality. And I want to be clear for a second, William. Dress however you want. Have whatever cosmetic surgery you want. Inject whatever chemicals you want into your body. I believe that the government and other people should not tell you what to do. They can offer you advice, right? Your doctor can offer you advice. Your family and friends can offer you advice. But do what you want. However, that does not mean that I have to accept that you actually are what you say you are. If you say you want to, you know, get your entire body tattooed to look like a a cheetah, and then you want to have fur installed, right? And you want to file your teeth to look like a cheetah's teeth. That's fine. Do all those things. We've seen pictures of people who 
split their tongues and get green tattooed and they're they want to be a lizard person but are they actually a lizard are they actually a cheetah no and that's the same point we're getting to here and when they're saying it's a threat to call them by their wrong pronoun well it's a threat to say it's unconstitutional to do that because you're saying oh we're going to use government to to say what you can think and what you can say we're going to use the force of government yeah to bully you and that's what people are looking at principle wise here they're not looking at weaponizing well, and justin i know you said i know you said you don't i know you said you don't want to get into the psychological side but this is a psychological reversal right they're saying they're not asking us to refer to them by pronouns they're saying do it or i will kill you yes it's a reversal, Correct. right? They're saying they're saying you not doing it will ca- is causing is doing a violence, and then proposing that a violence be done yeah. upon you, right? It's a reversal. It's a no. That's fine. Reversal. I didn't want to get into the the discussion of the psychology of like, oh, is this person traumatized? Do they have a broken psychology? The cluster B stuff because we could very easily go, oh, well, they enjoy the power. That's why they enjoy laws like this, right? Sa- telling people what they can't say. No, the reversal part is very, very important. Don't commit violence against us. We're going to commit violence against you. It's the punch a Nazi mentality, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the punch a Nazi mentality. And we saw this in an article you shared in the group thread. that This California school suspended two children for misgendering their classmate. What were the details of this story, William? Man, it's lost my... uh, I lost the uh, story. Here we go. All right. So uh, they suspended uh, these two students from uh, Glendale Unified School District. There you go. So not exactly. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Suspended two students for five days each today. We'll be conducting conducting restorative justice with students and teachers for the misgendering. In interviewing them, they admitted to being curious about a transgender person. I asked the teacher involved in the incident how he wanted to handle it, and he informed me of just teach them about misgendering, or would he like me to speak about being trans? He asked me to educate the transgender. It was well received from students and parents. Restorative justice will happen after the suspension. So, yeah, we're doing restored, We're doing a restorative justice. Restorative justice, here's from the article, is a re-education of students and gaining control over a situation based on the perceived wrongs they committed. So again, William, isn't this what you were saying? The use of government force to enforce yeah. an ideology? Yeah, and it's not actual wrongs, it's right. perceived wrongs, right? What, what, what crazy upside-down world are we living in uh, that you're going to get suspended for perceived wrongs? Well, the same one that, here's another example of gaslighting, and here's another story you shared. Here's the headline. Boy left unclothed or unclothed after Burgess Hill sexual assault by two women. William, can you figure out, can you point to the gaslighting in this headline? Uh, yes, the two women, because hold on, we've got to <clears throat> we've got to read both women who conducted the assault were between 18 and 20 years old. OK, with me so far. One being six foot three inches tall with bright dyed red hair. Ronald McDonald? Justin, is this a man or a woman? Is this a man it's or Ronald a McDonald. woman? Ronald McDonald. I believe that both 
I both I believe both of these were transgender Americans. They're British, well, not Americans, but right. transgender. This is an example of Britain being, yeah. as I always say, Britain's ahead of us. If you want to see where we're going, take a look at Britain. Right now, is it confirmed in this story that they are transgender? No, it is. I had to dig deep in other research, and these are actually both. Uh, I can confirm at least the tall one for sure. They don't know the identities, right? But the tall one for sure is uh, transgender. The other one is uh, was, uh, from the description, the more detailed description. People are drawing a proper conclusion uh, that they are also transgender. Well, here's the crazy thing to me, William. Wasn't the whole argument before all of this that we were living in a rape culture and toxic masculinity threatened women because men were the ones committing all the sexual assaults? Yeah. Yeah. This is, and this is, this is like the trifecta of like evil, right? Like this is, this is uh, apparently predators putting the, putting on the sheep costume, right? And then attacking a young boy. Right. This is, this is, this is all sorts of bad, right? So what are they supposed to do now? And what I mean by that is, well, wouldn't it be better just to admit these are actually men and say men are the problem? But no, now they have to, unless they want to be labeled a turf, they have to now say women can commit sexual assault too. And like you said, how old was this boy? 15 years old. So, you know, you can argue it's not like pedophilia, pedophilia, because the the kid's not prepubescent, but it's still pedophilia, right? So now, like you're saying, how do you get around this on any level? You know, you could argue men are evil. Why? This is, this, this, this is forced teaming, right? I'm uh, me as a, uh, 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 person who identifies as a woman and gay. I'm supposed to defend these transgender, uh, folks, right? It's forced teaming. We're supposed to assume that they're the victim here. And right. Because we're just told that this boy was left unclothed. We don't know what was going on. Maybe he attacked them. Right. Maybe a 15 year old boy attacked a six foot three man dressed as a woman in blue shorts and a black crop top with pink Air Jordan trainers and bright dyed hair. Like, yeah, I mean, yep. I know I'm not supposed to psychologicalize, but like maybe somebody wants attention. Six, three bright dyed red hair, blue shorts and pink shoes on. Come on. And what I, this is a British thing. I don't know what a Mary side accent is. The other one had so, so they don't even really know who this is. I don't know but either. What about the fact you write the gaslighting of this article? What about the fact that this article never even mentions that they're they're transgender? I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing in the sense of transgender rights? Now, I think it's a bad thing in the sense of what we're talking about with gaslighting. But as far as transgender rights. Isn't this that they've so internalized and accepted the argument about not misgendering that they're not misgendering? Yeah, I, I, I think of it from a just from the victim's point of view. We're not giving things that would be easily identifiable. I mean, we're saying the height. I mean, those of us can read between the lines, can read between the lines. But let's say this was an actual six foot three woman. How many six foot three women are there in Britain? 
I don't know. I don't know what's the average height in in Britain. I can't, I mean, the average height of women that's that that is a that is a huge outlier, right? You should be able to narrow it down pretty quickly, right? Especially in a in a in a neighborhood, right? But if we're if we're going the to the average not even height of British women is five feet four point seven inches. Okay. So you're, I would say in a lineup, this person would stand out if they were yeah. actually a woman, right? And we're hiding the fact, we're, we're, we're evading the fact that this is a, a trans uh, gesture person in order to protect. Who are we right. protecting? Are we protecting the victim or are we protecting the, the Right, and by criminal? raising that question, we're really protecting no one, and that's the issue of the gaslighting. So yeah, at best... At best, this news source is trying to protect transgender rights by not misgendering the two women. However, at worst, they're complicit with this assault. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So let's take a look at some of these effects, right? I don't remember where this article came from. I don't know if you shared it or I shared it. I think it might have been you. Uh, This is... I think it was. I'm producing, it's all, baby. It's all Quillette. I appreciate you producing. It makes my life a lot easier. Because this is this is a good one. This is a good <laughs> article. Because this article... Here's the thing I like about this article, William. It both exposes a problem, but it also shows a problem with the author of the article. And that's really what I want to get into, both levels of that. So this article is on Quillette. It's called A State of Parental Dysphoria. Essentially... Uh, Parental dysphoria is being a parent, but not really feeling like one. Or, as we were just talking about with the gaslighting, William, when you see a man dressed up like a woman and you say, that's a man, and they tell you that's not a man, well, that's rational dysphoria. They're making you feel like you're the one who's not being rational. It's the same thing here, where this person is saying they're being made to feel like they're not really a parent. Here's a quote from the article. To experience parental dysphoria, it's to be told that you are wrong when you know your instincts come from the deepest place a mother can ever draw from, the instinct to protect their own child. This is what we've been talking about, isn't it, William? Isn't this what, quote unquote, the term gender affirming care is? They want you to accept a contradiction of reality through social intimidation. The idea of if you're in Michigan, they want you to accept it through legal intimidation. But the idea of we're going to make you feel like a piece of shit. Because you don't accept what we say is true. Yeah, Justin, they use the, this this healthy uh, this this instinctual uh, protection of children in order to hurt your child. Right? They're they're saying your child will commit suicide unless you chop their dick off. They're literally saying that. Right. right? Which is essentially the argument is. Do you pick the small evil or the little evil? Or do you pick the small pain or the little pain? Right? Which is, yeah. if I'm a parent, right, I, I'm not going to pick that. Right? I mean, just think of it as a coach. Like, oh, well, your kid can lose uh, in regions or lose in districts. You pick. But to lose in, uh, to lose in regions, the, the boy has to wrestle the girl's. He has to transition. But if he loses in districts, he'll he can stay a boy. Like what kind of a choice is that? So you're telling me I just have to concede that the person's gonna lose? Crazy. That's what you're doing. Oh, your kid's gonna be harmed. Yeah. 
and you're a bad parent because you think it's bad that your kid's going to be harmed. That's the false alternative they've created. But, again, let's look at the other side of this. Here's another quote. We should all want to know why so many kids are declaring a trans identity. Well, that's a good thing about this article, right? Another, another quote based upon this. In a nutshell, there are many reasons why a teen with autism may feel uncomfortable with his or her body, even before introducing confusing concepts such as gender identity. And I think this speaks volumes right here, William. Here's what I think is the most dangerous thing about all of this. When we talk about gender-affirming care and targeting the youth. William, is there any teenager who feels comfortable in his or her body? Is there any teenager who feels like they're accepted and they're right and they're comfortable and they're not confused as to what the hell is going on in the world? The world, Or are there psychologists who have history who have called it a time of storm and stress for teenagers? Yeah. Uh, this is exactly a normal thing that we've turned into this that we've turned it into a religion and it's it's crazy to think about that i think we've talked about this on the show before like i can't imagine trying to grow up today surrounded by this uh this this additional level of confusion when things were confusing enough when i was a teenager Right. And I'm going to I'm going to take a step back from what you said. I do agree there's a religion they shuttle you into. They I can't think of the word siphon you into siphons not the word I'm looking for, but that they push you into. However, the first thing is they take a normal experience and they turn it into a flaw or a corruption or a sickness. Oh, you're confused. About it's like it's like the Kellogg's guy making cornflakes in order to end master childhood masturbation. You know, like a, a young teenage masturbation. Right? We need we need we need them to stop doing this thing that is natural. <laughs> so we're going to feed them cornflakes. <laughs> it's the same thing, but it's like on Correct. steroids. It's it's a completely larger and more disturbing. Right. Now, uh, obsession. here's the thing. There's two ways to approach that. One, you could think that this is them taking advantage, right? Oh, well, all kids are confused. Well, we can use this to push a trans agenda. Or, or because of the way our culture is, people really don't want to be confused and they hate the fact that they were confused as a kid, that they really want to end the kid's confusion and that's what they're trying to do. I think it's probably a mix of people with doing both those things. But an important thing is accepting that confusion happens and it's a normal part of the maturation process and it's a normal, normal part of the development process. I mean, let me give you a different example. We're talking about death, right? So I was texting with one of my former wrestlers, you know, she's now an adult, so nobody get mad at me. And she was telling me about how her boyfriend's going to propose soon and how she's so much stronger than she was a year ago. And she talked about how she had lost people in her life. And, you know, she talked about like, oh, this person died. And you know what my response was that, you know, she laughed at? I just said, yeah, unfortunately, people do that. Right now. What am I going to sit around William, and be like, man, if there was the only way we could figure out how to stop people from dying. <laughs> Oh, 
yeah, well, we're working we are, on that, right? right? And we should try to extend life and everything. But I mean, at a certain point, we are limited creatures, right? This is, I think, the joke of the the heads exactly. in the the jars in um, Futurama, right? Right, that's and the Futurama. joke of it. Is it's kind yeah. of absurd to think we can do that, right? The idea of Walt Disney's frozen head. I think that's probably where they got that from. But my point being here, rather than make her feel bad and be like, "Oh, you shouldn't feel bad about people dying," right? Oh, it's weakness on your part, right? Just be like, "No, that's normal. People die. It makes you sad." I don't know why we're doing the opposite here with kids, right? I mean, I do know why we're doing the opposite, because we're being told that we're bad for being confused. Oh, you shouldn't be confused. It's bad for being confused. You're a bad person. You're flawed. Human beings are flawed. Our entire society is flawed, and that's what's making you feel bad. Look, I agree there are people in our society that make us feel bad and make us feel like we can't do things because they couldn't do things. But it's not about being confused as a teenager You're supposed to be confused as a teenager. You don't know anything. And your brains are suddenly developing abstract thinking. And that's really what I want to get into with the rest of this story, William. I have a more fundamental question. Because this person has a assumed premise that this person doesn't challenge. Because it's parental dysphoria. William, is part of the issue here is that this parent isn't really a good parent? And what I mean by that is, I think this story really helps us see how a person gets him or herself into this situation. Here's another quote from the article. This village, and again... She's talking about, you know, a village raising a child. This village interpreted her nonconformity to gender stereotypes, her quirkiness, and her same-sex attraction at things that needed to be fixed medically. In order to be part of the community, she needed to fit in a specific box, even if that meant taking lifelong medications and undergoing multiple surgeries. But she wasn't mainstream. It wasn't okay for her to stay in her natural state. Meanwhile, I accepted and loved her differences and wanted to give her time to see if she could love and accept those differences in herself. William, what I am saying about this quote is, every side is wrong in this quote. And what I mean by this is, on one side they're saying, take medications and undergo surgeries to change your gender. On the other side, you're going to tell me your kid is non-conforming to gender stereotypes, quirky, gay, and autistic? What are the statistical odds of that? (laughs) That's apparently super common, right? Uh, Apparently. So isn't this an example of... That can't be. It can't be. She's she's walking her kid up to the front door of the church and saying, don't convert my child. Isn't that what she's doing here? Yeah, yeah. And then she's getting mad that they're telling her that she's wrong? Well, what are you... You're accepting every premise except one. What do you think they're going to do? And and here, 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 here we go. Continue with this. After she learned of the concept of trans and decided that applied to her, we sought professional help. Every single one of the clinicians involved with my daughter instantly affirmed her self-diagnosis of being trans and her belief that she required testosterone and a double mastectomy to survive. So yeah, okay, obviously the clinicians are wrong, right? What, what about your language? 
she decided it applied to her? So your teenage daughter, who at the oldest is 17 and at the youngest is 13, your teenage daughter just decided that applied to her because she's knowledgeable enough about these things and psychologically? Do you see how the author is accepting things here? Yeah, this is this is a this is because folks are not rejecting that unreality premise, right? They're not staying focused on reality and saying, hey, we have these issues that we need to take care of. You're developing. These are the things these are the life. These are the life lessons that we know you will be confronted with as you grow up. This is just part of growing up. You're not going to be comfortable. And and that comfort doesn't come, you know, till your mid twenties at the earliest. And for men, usually into their into their late thirties. Right. And it's tough being a parent and as a teacher and a coach because especially in today's day and age where everyone wants to feel special and this narcissism of social media, when you tell a kid it's normal, it's something everyone goes through, well though they want to feel special. And part of it is growing up is understanding, William, the difference between being an individual and being special. And what I mean by that is your experience is unique to you and nobody else is going to experience it quite the same way you are. But that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't feel like they don't fit in. So when somebody says, yeah, everybody feels like they don't fit in or everybody feels shunned. Or everybody feels alone. Everybody feels like at some point that no one's ever going to love them. That doesn't mean your experience isn't unique to you, but that doesn't make it special. But we have nowadays where everybody wants to feel special. And that's what I'm talking about when it's saying, oh, well, my kid's quirky and doesn't conform to gender stereotypes and ha- and is gay, is same-sex attracted, and is autistic. Do you see how they've made their child special? Yeah. Yeah. They're feeding into the underlying psychological causes for this. Yes. Right. This, this desire for validation and this is, they're, they're just feeding into it. They're not seeing that, Hey, this is just a teenager. This is, this is your emo. This is the emo girl of the nineties, right? Yes. That's exactly what this is. And then there's one other quote here I want to read, which sort of shows how this is all being incentivized. And it's the, the final, bad ingredient in this cocktail, this cultural cocktail. I quickly learned that I could not safely ask questions about these procedures, nor could I demand that these clinicians evaluate the root causes of my daughter's distress and treat any coexisting conditions first. First of all, you've already conceded those. When you, when you say she decided it applied to her, and when you said that she is quirky and not conforming to gender stereotypes and same-sex attracted and autistic... Well, then you're saying you don't want to evaluate the root causes of your daughter's distress and treat any coexisting conditions first. You're not saying those are conditions. You're saying those are part of life. But here's the clause that adds here. Without the risk of having social services officials become involved. So the point I'm getting from this article, William, is look at the way, same way Michigan Right. And Canada already had the pronoun laws. I'm assuming this person is Canadian. This reads very Canadian to me. I, I don't know. 
I think they yeah, say British Columbia at one point as well. So I'm pretty sure this person is Canadian. But you have government enforcing anti-reality without you yourself looking at what you are doing to enable anti-reality and in what ways you are anti-reality yourself. And it, when it gets to the point that you're uncomfortable, you don't realize how, again, you've walked yourself up to the church doors. If this is something you really don't want, you can't accept all the premises up until the final argument. You've already accepted the argument at that point. And to me, that's what's happening with a lot of people where they don't question things, where they don't understand the difference between what I was saying, right? They don't understand the difference of it's your body, it's your life, do what you want with it. However, I can still say it's bad, right? As a straight edge person, I can say, put whatever you want in your body, drink, do drugs. That's up to you. However, I still think it's bad. And if you ask me, I will tell you it's bad and why it's bad, but I'm not going to stop you. And I'm not going to use government to stop you. And I don't think people are looking at the differences there because William, do you see how my opinion, my perspective is not about bullying other people? It's not about forcing other people. It's just saying, this is what I think. I'm going to do what I think. I'm going to respect your individuality. She is not even... And I think this is a major problem with parenting. And perhaps this is where we can leave it. Is she even respecting the individuality of her child? Or is she telling her child what her child is? Who her child is? Yeah. Yeah, parenting, a good, effective parenting is about helping your child develop into a healthy individual. And the key there is individual, right? And that's the toughest thing is, even as a coach, you have to watch them make mistakes on their own. And you could say over and over again, do this, do this, do this exercise, do this exercise. And if they don't do it, they'll suffer the consequences. Or what I always see, right? You all week in practice, you say, don't do that move. Don't do that move. That's not going to work. And then they do it in a match. And what happens? They lose. And you know what I say to them, William? I go, you're not going to do that again, huh? And they go, nope. (laughs) But it sucks. You have to watch them lose that match. You know what I mean? When you told them all week what was going to happen. You know what I mean? But like a lot of parents would get mad, right? Like I told you not to do that. Right now, I'll get mad if, like, you say, "Yeah, I'm going to try it again." Then I'll go, "What are you, an idiot? Like, you're going to try it again?" Right? Then I'll get mad. But if I look at you and I go, "You're not going to try that again, huh?" They go, "Nope." Right? Or say something like, "I didn't work, huh?" Yep. Who told you it wasn't going to work? You. All right, we on the same page now. Yep. Right. See how it's focused on reality there. The problem is all of this is not focused on reality. And even the people who are objecting have already accepted the premises. And that's the problem. All right. I think that was a really good life on the midside. Kind of long today, but there was a lot to talk about. I will say I saw one obviously transgender person in Italy, in Milan, right? The fashion capital of Mm -hmm. Italy, one of the fashion capitals of the world. Not really a surprise there, but it's kind of it's kind of disheartening, William, that I come back and what am I talking about again? Because this doesn't really affect my life all that much. I mean, there. No, and I agree with you. I this is not something 
I, w- I wish we had to talk about, but it's so much in the culture now. It it would be like if we could rewind time and we started the Midside podcast uh, in the 80s, just so we'd be talking about the religious yep. right all the time, yep. right? And and that's exactly what we're living in right now. And I I think the pendulum's swinging. I think I think it's uh it's it's starting to come back. Uh, uh and we're starting to see some signs of, of the this power base, uh, this political insanity cracking. But it's I think it's going to take a, another ten years before we even get out of this. Like this is this is crazy, right? Thank God the religious right doesn't have uh, any uh, any sway on uh, on the culture today. But like we're going to be we're going to be doing the same thing with the, all of this, the queer transness, right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You bring up the, uh, the concept of time travel because that is exactly related to the new Indiana Jones movie. So let's move into that in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, look at some trailers, give us some farts to witness, tell us about your experiences. Some people were telling us there was a bunch of people in Miami this past weekend. Unfortunately, the high-speed train is not built between Orlando and Miami, but it would have been cool to see those people around the 4th, maybe in the future. But that's what the Discord's there for. We can network, we can get along, we can build a community that is pro-reality. If you want to do that, just go to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And in those episodes, you will find a join code. Click and join the Midside Discord. Okay, for my review this week, William, I saw the new Indiana Jones movie. And I am not only going to be critical of this movie, I am going to be critical of the entire franchise. So here's my one-sentence review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Vintage Indiana Jones adventure is had, but it ultimately forces us to ask what it all amounts to. So I give this two and a half stars out of five, or a solid bro rating, right in the middle of the road. Right, Because, look, William, can we agree that the cool factor of Indiana Jones is super high? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, got a classic film character. Right. He's got a fedora and a, and a bullwhip. And right when push comes to shove, he shoots people if he needs to. And he's fighting Nazis in the real sense of fighting Nazis. And he's trying to preserve history. Right. This movie is about the same. There is a dial from Archimedes that supposedly finds fissures in time. And Mads Mikkelsen plays a Nazi who has infiltrated the United States government. Snore, right? How many times are we going to see that? Um, And helped them get to the moon. But he's done this all so he can try and get the dial 
Because what do you think he wants to do with the dial, William? Using Fisher's in time and he's a Nazi and it's the 70s. What do you think he wants to do? Uh, kill Hitler. Well, he's a Nazi. Oh, uh, save Hitler. Right. So he wants to reverse World War II, right? Now, hit the spoiler button. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Eventually, Indiana Jones and his god niece, or no, sorry, goddaughter, right? Because, hey, get this, William. Remember Mutt Williams, played by Shia LaBeouf, who's his daughter? His, his daughter. It could be his daughter. I don't know anymore. Uh, his I don't son. Know anymore. Yeah, we just forgot about him, right? Oh, no, even better. We killed him off screen. <laughs> they were just like Indiana Jones has been depressed since the last movie because his son died in a car accident and his wife left him because of it I'm like Jesus we hate Shia LaBeouf that much and we need to replace Indy with a woman that badly that we're just going to kill a wow. character off screen yeah now I don't blame James Mangold the director because he was sort of left with whatever the mechanics Disney wanted him to deal with were and look i do think that as far as making an indiana jones movie he made an indiana jones movie but indiana's goddaughter get the dial and with the nazis they go back in time to the time of archimedes in a specific battle and the the nazis die there indiana jones wants to stay there the goddaughter knocks him out and brings him back to the present while they're in the past they discover that for some reason Archimedes rigged it so it would only bring people back to that time period in order for them to help them win the battle. I don't know how Archimedes knew a battle was coming to everything. Maybe he used the time fixture to see the future. But that's the point I'm going to make here, William, about the Indiana Jones franchise. Have you seen the other four movies, William? I saw the first three. I did not watch Shia LaBeouf. Okay. Well, Shia LaBeouf, him notwithstanding, because he's a good actor, right? The idea of interdimensional aliens was ridiculous, right? They're not just aliens, they're interdimensional aliens. But that's the point I'm making. Beyond the Temple of Doom, right? Because the first movie is the Ark of the Covenant. And when it opens the Ark, it kills anyone who sees, right? Because Indy's like, close your eyes, and it opens up, and like everyone dies who can see the Ark, the light from the Ark. Temple of Dune's a prequel. I don't really know, like, the guy... I remember the guy ripping the heart out, but there's not really much, like, supernatural stuff in that movie. That's probably the most grounded right. Indiana Jones movie. The third one is about the, la- uh, the the Last Crusade and about finding the chalice from The Last Supper. And remember the guy drinks from it and, like, suddenly becomes super old? Or drinks from the yep. fake one yep. and becomes super old? Okay. The yep. fourth one finds interdimensional aliens... And the fifth one finds time travel. And then it just ends. Indy gets back together with Miriam. Everyone's happy. The end. Indiana Jones has retired. William, these four things I've named, aren't they fundamentally altering, life-changing, species-changing events? Yes. Now, I understand Indiana Jones wants to preserve history, so the goal of the movies, the goal of the character is just to preserve history. But isn't there something fundamentally wrong with the narrative of the movies if nothing is changing when there are these major things? Like, if you're actually confirming that Jesus existed and there's some mystical nature of it, wouldn't that change human existence? Interdimensional aliens exist. 
wouldn't that change human existence? Say they would time travel. Look, I'm going to talk about the inverse argument for Die Hard. People complain because they're like, oh, by the time we get to Die Hard 4, John McClane's like jumping out of uh, helicopters and onto the wings of planes. It's like, well, how many times has he had to be put in a no-win situation where he gets stronger? Where they want him to just yeah. be the, the cop in the first movie. He's not the cop in the first movie. He's evolved. So people complain there that the growth of the character is a bad thing, right? It goes from, in the first movie, it's a high-rise. The second movie, it's an airport. The third movie, it's New York City. The fourth movie, it's the country. The fifth movie, it's Russia, right? We'll forget about the fifth movie. But the fourth movie, it's the entire United States, right? Isn't that a natural evolution and escalation of things with real consequences? Whereas with Indiana Jones, how does he go through these things and nothing ever changes in the universe? Shouldn't these discoveries have changed the world? Yeah. I mean, you at least at the end of the first one, you can say... Uh, you can say that it was locked away and unexplained, right? Like right. that there was more to this, right? Right, and they did it on purpose. That's why they did that. They showed it being put... Like, that's an iconic visual because they're like, oh, look, the secret has been locked away. And then they did a prequel. So the first two movies, you're like, okay, narratively, this isn't going anywhere. But then the third movie with The Last Crusade, shouldn't that be about opening things up again? And then it just went off the rails because all they're trying to do is literally remake the first movie with different particulars, with different specifics, rather than make another movie in the story. Yeah, I can't remember which critic I I was watching on YouTube, but one person pointed out that the whole takeaway, because the second movie kind of flopped, the whole takeaway from the second movie is, oh, we need to have Nazis, otherwise no one will come. That was literally their conclusion. So they're like, we don't care about any of the details as long as there's Nazis in it. As long as Indy shoots Nazis. Right. And the third movie is successful, so now we always have Nazis with Indiana Jones. Right. Which, okay, like, whatever. Every superhero has his supervillain, right? I don't necessarily have a problem with the Nazi part of it, especially in today's day and age, right? But then again, Captain America already did that, right, with the whole Hydra thing with Winter Soldier. Yeah. Winter Soldier is essentially an Indiana Jones movie, is it not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, you know what you're getting if you see this movie. Is it a bad movie? No. Is it a great movie? No. Is, here, here's something. Here's the controversial takeaway. Is Indiana Jones one of the greatest franchises, one of the greatest film franchises in American history? No. Sorry. Not sorry. Agree or disagree, William? I think the first movie is classic cinema, and the yes. rest are pretty much garbage. Uh, Temple of Doom's all right. Like, the ripping the heart out is pretty cool, and, like, the snakes, I, why did it have to be snakes? Like, there's some pretty iconic yeah. stuff in Temple of Doom. There's some iconic stuff in there. Yes, I agree. But the first one is just, I, like, there's so many visuals that are just iconic. I could just play you a single scene from that first movie and it will draw you right back into it. You will be there again. Yeah, I agree. And I will leave everyone on this note to mull over to masticate. Maybe this is another example of George Lucas being overrated. Yeah, I said it.
<laughs> well, I don't think him or uh, Steven Spielberg had anything to do with this movie. So beyond being producers, they did not. Yep. Yep. But I mean, George Lucas wrote the fourth one. So, <laughs> but again, at least I will say this about George Lucas, right? He was the whole one who he wanted to sell Star Wars to Disney because he wanted them to have characters for male young young boys beyond the princesses, right? He wanted the Jedis to be the equivalent of the princesses for young boys. He did try to give Indy a son, not a goddaughter. So, yeah, there's a yeah. lot to critique. Isn't it sad that, yeah, isn't that the sad that he wanted Disney to have the equivalent for boys, princesses, and then they turn it into the forces female? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into rants about Kathleen Kennedy. We've been down that path before. The path we haven't been down before is these four trailers that we're going to talk about this week. It's time for a trailer takedown when we talk about the movies that are going to come out. We put the trailers in Discord usually the Saturday before we record so you can watch them when you want. Before the episode, after the episode, or you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Summoning the Spirit is... A weird horror movie? I don't really understand. Look, I was watching this trailer and I was like, wow, the cinematography is surprisingly good. It's very crisp. It's very colorful. These are good looking people. I was like, wow, the the quality of this is pretty good. This trailer shows how anyone can make a good looking movie nowadays. But then when they showed Bigfoot and that terrible mask... Like, Harry and the Hendersons looked better in the 80s than this Bigfoot looks in this trailer. And then it ends with them like like a pro wrestler, like double clotheslining them from behind. I think what they're doing is summoning the spirit of Bigfoot. I don't know why. I I, I want to like this movie from the cinematography and from the, the sort of premise, but it just looks like it's going to be ridiculous. Tackle. Tackle. I had the exact same Harry and the Henderson vibes. I was like, is this, are they, I, I thought they were summoning Harry and the Henderson. Like, they're, they're, they're actually summoning Harry. Dude, the mask is so bad, though. If at the end, like, he just starts cracking, like, jokes from the show, from the old Harry and the Henderson show, I think that's where we're going down, right? Um, I mean, I'd watch no, it if it I was think, that. Yeah, this, this, I, they did a good job with the cult stuff. Like kind of like dramatizing that this sort of like yeah. cultishness. Like the, the first half of this trailer really good. is good. Yes, but then they showed. I it, Justin, they should not have shown the creature, and yes. then I think all of us would have been there. So yes. no, no thanks. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Red, white, and royal blue. William, you're gonna have oh, to help man. me because I don't know how to talk about this movie without being offensive unintentionally. And what well, I mean we, by that know, while, is, while we were while we were gone, we did have the gayest show ever. Well, this might be the gayest trailer ever, okay? Because like <laughs> this guy, I think his mom's the president, meets like the Prince of England, Prince Henry, and they start fighting, and supposedly they hate each other. And then I'm like, they're both gay, right? Like they're gay and they're into each other. And then the entire movie is like they're gay and they're into each other, but I don't even know what the conflict is, like. 
this seems like it could be a movie where it's like, oh, the world's not ready for like the first son and the the Prince of England to be gay together. Right. We can't have a high profile gay relationship, but it seems to be more of an issue like a child of America of American royalty can't be in love with British royalty. In which case, didn't we already see this in real life with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? Like, I don't understand. And like, I don't know, William, like, what are the odds that the son of the president is that good looking and the, the, the son of the queen of England is that good looking. They're both gay and they're in love with each other. I don't know. Like, this feels like the kind of movie the uh, gay film community in Hollywood would make as an independent film 15 to 20 years ago and would have a small budget and they would watch and love. And now they're trying to force it down our throats as a mainstream movie. And that's where the offensive part comes in, right? Mm. I see yeah. no value to this movie. It looks completely basic and it looks like schlock. It looks like a romance novel, except it's gay. So they're trying to push it on us. And maybe, you know, maybe that sounds intolerant of me, but I don't know. My co-host is gay and I don't seem to have a problem with him. So, and yes, that is the I have gay friends argument. But this this trailer just makes me really uncomfortable because it's just a basic movie. But because they're gay, it seems to have value to it. Tackle. Ugh, tackle. See, now you misportrayed me with the... <laughs> I didn't say I was grossed uh, out by them being gay. <laughs> uh, Justin, I, I always bring this movie up, a small indie film called The Shelter. Uh, the gay one, I think there's two movies called The Shelter. Great romance movie talking about the really fundamental thing is about living your own life, right? That's the theme. I think anyone can enjoy this movie. Yes, it's about uh, gay people, but it's about choosing your own life, taking control of your own life, not giving up things uh, in the name of your family that doesn't even care about you, right? And it's a great movie. That, if that's the theme of this movie, then it could possibly be good. But we both know, Justin, that Hollywood is not going to be, it's not able to make this, right? And I, I think it's, Making the characters gay in this case, uh, Justin, if I switched them to being straight, would it have mattered for this story just based on the 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 uh, trailer? I think it's I don't think so. And I think we, I think you and I both keep coming back to this, right, where we people that Hollywood wants to have representation, but they're just forcing it in constantly. Right. They're it's not because of a theme, right? And I'm not saying all gay, all stories with gay people need to be about coming out or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. The fact that th this is so, this is such like a trashy romance novel. Like, I don't even know who the audience for this will be. I, I mean, we saw this with, what was that comedy? The, the gay comedy that flopped that we were all uh, homophobic for not watching. That came out last year. The Billy Eichner ones about bros or whatever. Was it yeah. called bros? Bros. Yeah, there you go. Bros. Something like that, right? Are we all going to be homophobic if we don't go see this movie? I think I'll remain homophobic and not see this movie. So tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Bob Marley, One Love is the inevitable Bob Marley musical biopicture, right? We've had a bunch. Elton John, Queen, right? It was inevitable. It was going to be Bob Marley. 
I will say that the cinematography looks good in this movie. Again, they they set a real mood here, right? The use of color, it's very crisp as well, right? This doesn't look like it's naturalistic. However, this teaser trailer makes this entire movie look very one note. I mean, that's probably very accurate, though, because that's pretty much what reggae is, right? This is all about, like, Bob Marley wanted peace, and he was level-headed, and everyone else told him, like, hey, peace isn't easy, but he wanted peace. And he repeated, like, five times in this trailer, like, oh, my life's not about me, it's about other people. There, Look, there's just nothing for me to like about this movie. I don't like reggae, I don't like Bob Marley. This reinforces why I don't like reggae and Bob Marley. And I also think, narratively, it's just going to be one note. It's the same thing over and over again. Bob Marley is this cool, chill, moral guy, and the stuff that happened to him was uh, tragic, unethical. Tackle. Tackle. Hot take, Justin. I can't stand any Bob Marley songs, so there's no way I could I'd even watch this trailer all the way to the end, let alone watch this movie. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Corner Office stars John Hamm, who I don't know what generation this is set in. It seems like maybe it's supposed to be the 80s or the 70s. But he takes a new job and he wants to rise to be a leader in the company. And then he's having a hard time until he finds an office nobody else is fine. Nobody else has found. And he sits in it and lets him do whatever he wants. The trailer is unclear about what it means to do whatever he wants. And that lack of clarity is the concern here because the directing, the cinematography is not very upbeat and energetic. And you could very much see how this could be a critique of capitalism. The idea that he doesn't want to just do his job. He wants to become a leader. He wants to advance and everyone else is telling him not to. And everyone else thinks he's crazy thinks he has a mental illness this goes along with the idea that we say most ceos are psychopaths right i don't know when we started saying that right but that's all part of this so you could definitely see this being a critique of capitalism however john ham doesn't seem to always take those kind of roles he seems to take more nuanced roles so because of that and also because if i tackle this it becomes four tackles uh this is the movie that I would most like to see out of the four. And honestly, I probably would have wanted to see it anyway because John Hamm tends to pick good roles. And this has an intriguing enough premise that I would give it a chance. So I think this is a uh, definition of a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, there's that uh, Apple. I think it's on Apple TV, Severance. I got a lot of Severance vibes from this, right? Hot take. Uh, I didn't like Severance. You didn't like it? I watched the first episode. I thought it was too slow, and all of the coincidences were just too much for me. Like when the lady who worked with him was his next-door neighbor, it was just all too much for me with the slow pace in the first episode. uh, uh, I think it is a very slow burn. Uh, I agree with you on that. This is an review of Severance. Um, I get a lot of Severance vibes, and I... This seems like an interesting sci-fi psychological thing. And if it's going to go in that direction, I might like it. So I think 
much like you, I'm hesitant, but it's got it's got a couple of things that will push it over into the uh, I'll give it a try category, especially with the uh, lead actor, John Hamm. That makes it at least worth a look. So I'll give it a Netflix and hug as well. Netflix and hug. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our journey. What did we learn this trip? I learned that even if your trailer is confusing, if John Hamm is in it, I might give it a chance. Justin, what did you learn this week? Uh, I learned that America is still the best country in the world, but for some reason we've just decided we have to deal with uh, the transgender issue here. So you get all this awesome stuff when you come back here and you live here, but then you also have to, for some reason, care about transgenderism. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking to the corner of my closet like a crazy person. Still is that, but I'm a little less crazy. You can support the show by going to midside.com slash store, pick up some merch, go to midside.com slash Patreon, midside.com slash locals. It's how we keep the lights on. And most of all, the best way to grow the show is to tell a female friend. Actually female, not presenting as female. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a day. It's the worst Italian impression ever. I'm glad you said it because I was thinking it.